welcome all of you that are with us tonight. Uh, we're going to get back into the book of Revelation, the very pick up in the, the end of chapter 1 there. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and mercy. We thank you for not leaving us in the dark. <laughs> You've given us so much information about the end of time and about the destiny of mankind, which includes all of us, the world, your plan and what man's trying to do that's going to come to naught and all the things the enemy would like to do and destroy, but you're going to overcome all that. We're thankful, Lord, that you didn't leave us in the dark. You said we are not in the dark, that you have, uh, we are children of the light. So we don't have to be in the dark without any understanding of the time we're living in and the days we're living in. So we're thankful, Lord, that you've not left us to ourselves. We don't uh, we need you. We need your instruction. We need your word. We need the Holy Spirit. We need everything you have to give us, Lord, because we can't make it on our own. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to take you back to chapter 1. We, we stopped at the end, uh, after verse 18, and I left uh, 19 and 20 so we could go into these next couple of chapters because in 19 he says... Um, Chapter 1 of Revelation, chapter 19, he says, Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. Now, he's having a vision. So he's getting a lot of stuff that he's seeing, right? So what's happening to John is he's kind of not just getting told things to write down. He's seeing all this kind of unfold in real time. To him. So has anybody ever had a vision or a dream that you knew was from the Lord? I mean, it's really vivid, isn't it? Very clear. And uh, the visions I've had in my lifetime have been very clear. And, uh, and dreams. I've had a few dreams. And sometimes we have dreams and we don't know if they're from the Lord or not, right? Right off the bat. And sometimes they're not. Sometimes it's because you ate pizza too late. So if you've got a dream that you think might be from the Lord, you go ahead and jot some things down, file it away, and wait for Him to see if He confirms it, right? Sometimes you know right away you knew it was from God, a vision or a dream. And sometimes maybe you don't. And, and let give Him... And here's what I want to caution all of us about. Do not finish God's sentences. Let Him finish them. If God gives you half of a sentence, don't assume that you know the next thing that's coming. Ask me how I know that don't work. So don't finish God's sentences for Him. Let Him come by. He'll, he'll, he'll finish what He started. Amen. He may give you a piece of something or show you something and then come back at another season and finish the end of that. So don't get ahead of God and finish His sentences for Him. So in verse 19, he says, or the thing, verse 20, I mean, he says, The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. Uh, the seven stars are the angels, or that word there could be translated messengers of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So this Greek word doesn't always have to be translated angel. An angel is a messenger, or some of them are messengers, and we see that clearly when we were sharing some of the stuff out of the book of Daniel. So there are angels that are given charge and uh, that encamp around those who fear the Lord and believe in Him. 
But this word can be translated, not just angel, it can be translated also as a messenger. So what you're getting ready to see, or at least partially tonight, you're getting ready to see these churches are going to be spoken to by the Lord. They're, they're set up like a horseshoe. with, uh, And most things I've read believe this was like a, a trade route. Maybe what we would today call a mail route or whatever. I guess we'd call it an Amazon route today, wouldn't we? Or UPS. And uh, over here, the first and, and the last church, right? And all these other churches are on this route. Ending up with Laodicea. It's almost like horseshoe. So this is, he gave them and he put, and they're in order as you come around this horseshoe in Asia Minor where they were the ones God targeted. Now there, we know that there were at least three other churches established at this time. Colossae was one of them and I forget the other two. But So this wasn't the only churches in the region. Uh, but God specifically picked these churches out. Now, he's done that all through the Bible. He's used things as examples, right? I said, uh, we can't get mad in Kentucky because God didn't put his name on Lexington or Louisville. He didn't. The only city in the world he put his name on was Jerusalem. It's the city of our God. So God picks certain things out to illustrate what, and you're going to see why in just a minute. He, he picks these churches out, and he deals with all seven of these churches. Of course, we've learned uh, in our study, and we've known this for a long time, that God loves the number seven. The number seven means perfection, uh, or, and probably the better definition is completeness. And so, seven, God built his whole plan around the number seven. Uh, for mankind and for the universe, for the world. And so there are seven churches that we're going to see. And these seven churches are going to define a lot of stuff for us. We're going to see how these churches can show us. They're actual churches, but they foretell some things and give us opportunities to see at least three things. Number one, you need to see where you go to church. In other words, which one of these churches lines up with your spiritual life? That can tell you something about yourself, good or bad. Then, these churches can represent congregations. Some congregations uh, are like these. You know, you can see certain characteristics of churches or not. And then, finally, you can see the church ages with these churches. Starting with Ephesus and winding up in Laodicea. So these churches tell us a lot about, they can tell us a lot about ourselves. So if you, spiritually speaking, as, you, as we go through these, and of course you can take time to dissect them yourself, you, you might want to ask yourself, do you... Which church do you go to, spiritually speaking? Uh, are you the church that's on fire, having revival in your life, like Philadelphia? Or are you the church like Thyatira, that's got a lot of worldliness in you, where the, the Lord's repro- trying to reprove you because you're chasing the world? 
half, half, half the time. So all these churches bring us some good information. But really, the greatest information they bring us when it comes to the book of Revelation is how the churches went through these phases to get to the last phase, which is Laodicea. So we're a true believer, a, a committed Christian. I'm just going to say it that way is way in the minority now. People who are uh, committed in their whole life, everything God's first in, those, you're, you're in a minority, people like that. People who put God first in everything from whatever, you know, by going to church, by worshiping regularly. You can look in their checkbook and see that God's first. I mean, just those kind of people are in the minority now, people who are totally committed to God. And the statistics are horrendous where they've transferred from the 70s to, the, to now. But Jesus told us it'd be like this, right? He said, there's going to be many going to destruction. There's going to be few going to heaven, eternal life. He said, in the last days, the love of many will grow cold. And then he said, Paul said, there's going to be a great falling away. So when you add all that together with Jesus saying there's few going to eternal life and many are going to destruction, when you add all those things up, that's, that means you're going to be in the minority if you're really serious about following Christ and making Him the Lord of your life and putting Him first in everything. You know, and that's, that's a challenge. And you're going to see these churches, a couple of these churches had challenges with that. Sardis and Laodicea, were both challenged with trusting in their wealth instead of trusting in the Lord. And how many people are like that, right? In this world, you know, a lot, just about all of them in the, in the world are like that. And, and a lot of folks even inside the church are that way. They trust more in what they've accomplished or what they feel like they've laid back. But I'm going to tell you something. We've seen this in our lifetime with Enron, with Greece, and now with some of this crypto stuff, money can be here today and gone tomorrow. Solomon said, riches have a way of making wings and flying off. That's an interesting way to put it, isn't it? So our trust can't be in any of that stuff. We don't trust in the world system. We don't trust in men. We don't trust in gold or silver. We trust in the Lord. And we've watched cultures come and go. We'll be the exception to the rule if we don't collapse. Most nations go under and some of them come back. But they have some horrible times. And we've been the exception to the rule because we've really looked to God for most of our existence except in the last few years. So these churches are going to speak to us in a lot of ways. And they're actual churches... And these messages are used, designed around them. And I think you'll see why. Because when we start looking at these churches here in just a moment, these same problems exist today. And so God, the Lord, Jesus, the Holy Spirit took these churches as examples so that we would pay attention and make sure that we're not following in the wrong path that some of them were going in, but we're going down the right path that some of them are going in. Five of these churches, uh, actually, I think two of them didn't get rebuked. 
the other five did. Now, some of them were told some things God was encouraging them in, and then He turned around and rebuked them in. And that's five out of seven got that. And that's, that's how your life and my life can be sometimes. You can be doing well in a lot of areas, but the Holy Spirit may come by and say, hey, you need to get this straightened out here. Right? I don't call that being picked on. I call that being faithful. Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit don't just leave you to yourself or leave us to ourselves? I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit... And, and God said in Psalms, he, said, he told Israel, He said, you all thought I was like you. <laughs> and too many people come to the Bible to try and get the Bible to fit them. That's not why we come to God's Word. We come to God's Word to fit us to that. We don't try to make it fit us. We come to fit ourselves to that. There's none of us that are perfect, so you're going to get reproved and rebuked at times, even as you get older, right? We watch God's people, sometimes even when they're older, that God, because a lot of people shift fears. Have you noticed that? I had a discussion with somebody who was well into their 70s, and they were afraid <laughs> that, that they weren't going to make it financially. And I said, God's not going to drop you. That's not how this works. You don't serve Him your whole life and turn 70, and He says, ah, you're on your own now. That's not how this works. <laughs> he said He'd never leave us nor forsake us. But you know, fear different, different seasons in life can bring different fears into our lives, right? But we got to resist all those because fretting does what? It only causes harm. It doesn't say that's one of the things it does. That's a pretty big statement, right? Fretting, worrying only causes harm. It doesn't do any good. Let's go to chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel or the messenger of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. You're going to see some groups in here that are democratic and they try to bring democracy into the church and let me just say that that's not how God runs his kingdom he runs a theocracy you don't get to vote when you get to heaven you don't you don't have no vote in heaven there's no political parties you don't get to say, I don't want a, a driveway with gold on it. That's not your call. <laughs> you, you get what he's designed for you. And how many knows he knows what's better for us than we do? Have, have you lived long enough to figure that out? That God, you wanted something and God didn't allow it to happen. Then he come around with something else and you thought, hey, I'm glad we did your thing and not mine. I mean, that's how God is. He's a wonderful father. And so he's got everything. Now notice what he's doing. He says, who walks in the midst of the lampstands. He's walking in the middle of his churches. Guess who owns this place? The Lord does. We're just stewards. This is his body. This is his ministry. It's not Matthew Robbins' ministries. I am a steward. I've been given a task and a mantle to work on his behalf. But the, you all don't, you, you, the sheep don't belong to me. They belong to the Lord. In fact, I'm one of the sheep. 
math. I've just been given a mantle to do what I do and God's put a calling on my life. But you all and everything we've done here belongs to the Lord. And if you've brought your tithes in here over the years, you're just bringing back what's His anyway, right? It's all His. Everything that we've been used to sustain this building has been His. It's all His. He just lets us partner with Him and be a part. And He's called us into His family. He's given us eternal life. We got the way better end of the deal. You, you th- God has to put up with us. Right? And get down saying, boy, they're getting lazy on me a little bit here. They're about to lose their first love on me. Right? And He gives us everything. He, we got the best deal. God has to put up with us. He says, uh, I know He holds the seven, walks in the middle of the lampstand. So He's walking through His people, right? He's walking through the body. I know your works, your labor, your patience. That word patience is... Uh, hupomenate means it's uh, endurance or consistency is the best word uh, to describe this Greek word hupomenate is consistency. He says, I know you work, I know you're consistent, you endure, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. Now, I'm in that crowd. I get plum ticked off sometimes when I see what they're doing in this country. And what we just signed into law again yesterday? Insanity. Now, how, how do we expect to find God's favor if we keep doing everything against His Word? And I'm making a list, and I'm checking it twice. And guess who's been naughty? America. You, this list that I'm compiling, if you go down the list of everything Israel did to walk away from God, we're doing the same thing. They started sacrificing their children. They started permitting any kind of immoral sexuality in their country. It's horrendous. They started bringing idols into their land. I'm going to say this. America should not have let one idol in this land. That should have never happened in this country. That's not freedom. They should have, we should have never let one idol come into this land. You know what God told His people? He said... I don't want you to make any military alliances or trade agreements with anybody that worships false gods. That's how we should have been as America. We should have never made trade agreements or or alliances, military, with people who worship false gods. But cat's out of the bag now. And I, I get frustrated with that. I was the only guy probably in the 80s in college saying, we don't want all this globalism. We want to take care of ourselves and then whatever we got left over will help the rest of the world. Because once you get tied in, now I'm going to, I'm going to bring you to an expected end here. Just Once you get tied in, and that's where we're at now, what happens in Japan and China ripples over here. However, I saw this the other day. I was reading an article. There's somebody in our government, in the energy sector of our government, that's... Pro- promoting a smart grid. And that's what they want to do with everything. They want everything to be smart. We're a bunch of smarty pants. And the reason they want to do a smart grid is so... You see that thermostat on the wall over there? So they can control it and not you. Now, that sounds horrible. And it makes me angry. But let me bring the balance to that. This kind of system had to be in place for the Antichrist. He's got to have a system to where he can basically control the world. 
right? And I, I told you this uh, probably a couple years ago. I read an article about 5G. It wasn't a Christian article. It was just an article that they said that when 5G fully gets implemented, if somebody could get to the central nervous system of 5G, they could basically control the world. So all this stuff needs to happen. So that brings the balance to me. Yeah, I hate the way we're going away from God in our country and the rest of the world as well. But all this stuff has to come to pass and get, get put in place because this Antichrist, who's going to act like he's the Messiah, is going to turn on the Jews and then turn on the rest of the world. Then the, the mark, you can't buy or sell without the mark. You see what I'm saying? There, I don't know if Kentucky's this far along yet, but there are places in this country, they no longer have to come to your house to turn your water off. They can turn it off from the central location. Same thing with your electricity. And let me just tell you all this. They can shut our phones down anytime they want to. Now, that's horrible, and you feel like you're losing some of your independence and, and power with that. But we know who's in charge, and we know he's going to take care of us. But these things have to come to pass so this Antichrist guy can get seated in a spot where he can control the world. And so that, that's what this technology is about. Uh, this technology is nothing to God. I mean, he's way far beyond technology. He's way smarter and he can see the end from the beginning, right? But it's in place because man's arrogant. He turns away from God. This is our expected end because we keep walking away from God and it's getting set up for this Antichrist guy. So for us Christians, that should kind of excite us. I know that's kind of a weird paradox there, right? That, uh, if, you know, I don't need somebody controlling my thermostat at my house. Right? And that kind of makes me mad a little bit if it ever got to that, right? But I understand why this kind of system needs to be put in place because if you don't take the mark or the number or the name and you can't, they can cut your water off, literally. And so that's, that's why this kind of system's getting put in place. Then he says, I know your works, your endurance, and you've tested those who say they're apostles and are not. It says, they cannot bear those who are evil. I feel the same way. It said, they've tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. Now, listen closely. You've heard me kind of hit on this a lot. There's a lot of bad teaching out there about the end of time now. A lot of things they're saying the book of Revelation is already come and gone. Uh, Luke 21, Matthew 24, Mark 13, those discourses on the end of time that all that's done come and gone. But the reason I went to Daniel three straight weeks with you all is to help you understand that the end cannot come until sin's done away with, iniquity's over, and righteousness has been come in, and Jesus has been anointed king king. None of that stuff has happened. So for those guys who are teaching that stuff, and a lot of it goes back to that stuff that come out in the 80s. It's called Kingdom Now Theology. I don't know if some of you remember that. It's where that the church has taken the place of Israel. That's, that's false. I'm not a Jew. I'm a son of Abraham and grafted into the same tree. But I'm not a physical Jew. I'm a spiritual son of Abraham. Now notice something about that. Abraham is the only man in the world's history that's been both a Gentile and a Jew. You think about that for a minute. Isn't that beautiful? That us Gentiles have access 
the Jews have access, and it's all, he said, whoever's a fader, right? That's a borrowed word and a made-up word. But whoever's a fader is a son or a daughter of Abraham. And it don't matter if you're a Gentile or you're a Jew, you get grafted into the same tree, which is Christ, in Romans chapter 11. So it's beautiful to see how God set that up. He called this Gentile, Abraham, he was Abram at the time, called him out of Chaldea. Chaldeans are Gentiles. God's hand on him, setting him apart, giving him the seal of circumcision, and then start calling him into the promised land. That's what separated him and made him a Jew. Same kind of conversion that takes place in you and I as Christians, right? God calls us out. He separates us from the world and His hand and His covenant with us and promises that He offers us separates us and makes us born-again believers. And it's all by faith. And you've seen me uh, do this before, but it's always been faith that God's been after. He's never... He, he, ne- he knew we couldn't keep the law, right? So God had Abram, who later became uh, Abra, Abraham. They have gutter- Hebrews have gutturals in their language. So when you, when you say Abra, in Kentucky, West Virginia, and Tennessee, and everywhere else down south, we call him Abraham. But in the Hebrew, he would be called Abraham. Sarai, whose name was changed, would be Sarah, right? So it's a type of born-again experience in the Old Testament, right? Transformation. So when I got saved, my name went to Matthew Ha. I made that up. (laughs) But I like it. Because it's the breath of God, right, that gives us life. It's Him that gives us. We didn't have any life, right, until He came. So... God called Abram before the law, and He called him to move out on faith, right? And then the law came. And if you've not watched this, I encourage you. In fact, uh, if, you don't, if you've not already watched the 15-minute clip on our YouTube channel about the law, and it's titled The X-Ray, if you've not watched that before this Sunday, I'm, I'm charging everybody $5. I'm kidding. I just want you to get on there and watch how God unfolded that to me. And I'm not, I certainly am not the, the end all be how, but I want you to see what the law did as far as what its purpose was. And then here's the, cry, the cross, right? The Christ at the cross. So the law came between both of these were places of faith. God never intended. For man to be redeemed by the law. Paul said if a law could have redeemed us, he said then a law would have been given to do that. In Galatians, he said if, if we were going to be redeemed by the law, this is a huge statement. He said then Christ died in vain. I mean, that's big. If you're going to live under the law, and we got some of that going on in our culture too. People that act like they're... It's a turnoff to a Jew if you're not really a Jew and you run around and say you're a Jew. It's the same thing on these Indian reservations. You go to Indian reservation and act like you're an Indian when you're really not, it turns them off. Same th- but, but if you're going to live under the law and the New Testament dispensation, you need to go home and rip the book of Galatians out and throw it in the trash because you can't live under the law with the book of Galatians. I mean, that's a huge statement when he says, and, and I'm not preaching to just you all. I know my voice is going out there, 
around the world because of how we're set up now. But you, and I'm talking to you folks that are watching and listening and getting these podcasts. If you're going to live under the law instead of through faith in Christ, you'll have to rip the whole book of Galatians out. Because he's very plain in there. And then, so he goes on to say, he says, uh, you've persevered, you've had this con- the endurance, this consistency, you've labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. And what did Paul say in another place in Galatians, Galatians 6 and 9? Be not weary in doing well, for in due season you'll reap if you do not faint. Right? I've said this a thousand times in 30-some years. You're never disqualified unless you quit. You, you can fall seven times, and the Bible says a righteous man gets up seven times. You, the forgiveness is there. It's always there if you'll seek it. But you can't just give up. And he's saying to them, he said, you guys have not become weary. And in Galatians, he said that. He said that you guys don't get weary, right? Because in due season, you will reap if you do not faint. You know what I've learned in the... Let's see, how old am I? I I got called to preach when I was 17, so almost 40 years ago. Now, I run for two years. I didn't do it until I was 19. But uh, you know what's the most impressive thing to me now with church folks? Endurance. Not talent. I want to see the people that stick it out no matter what. No matter what the devil throws their way. That's the most impressive to me. People say, I'm not turning back. I'll never, you know, being like with the attitude of Paul. uh, That's what's most impressive to me is people who endure. And that's why... When we get to heaven, some of us that have been out in the front, out in the lights, ain't going to be near as decorated as some of these grandmas and some of these people that climbed in these closets day after day after day and sought God and interceded for people like you and I. You know what, Billy Graham, they interviewed him before he passed away. You know what they asked him? They said, do you have any regrets? He said, said, the greatest regret I have is that I didn't pray more. Pretty big statement, ain't it? And prayer is available to us all the time. But sometimes it can be the most neglected thing if we're not careful. He says, he said, you've not become weary. And look what he said. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. A lot of people misspeak that. They say lost it. It's lost it's like it's accidental, right? I lose my car keys from time to time. Does anybody ever do that? It's accidental because there's nothing more frustrating than losing your car keys, right? And, uh, but left, they left their first love. And that happens to people in ministry, in church, or, or whatever. They get more caught up in the thing they're doing than the one who provided everything for them. And I say this to people quite regularly. Do not get caught up in the blessing. Keep your focus on the blesser. Don't let the blessing be the most important thing in your life keep your focus on the blesser and really church and the tabernacle and the temple was designed for us to come and give of ourselves to God not to come and get all the time but to come and give those people were bringing sacrifices in constantly they were coming and bringing things to God so that should be our heart and attitude that we're coming to 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 minister 
unto the Lord to bring Him our praise and our thanksgiving and, our, and to make time for Him, to take time out of our schedules and say, we're going to be with God on Wednesday nights. We're going to be with God on Sunday. We're gonna, and not just at church time, but other times. And we're going we're gonna to bring to God, whether it's uh, offerings, money, whatever. We're coming to minister unto the Lord. And God got so uh, discouraged or dis, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Dis, or put out with the priesthood in Ezekiel. He said, I don't want none of those guys coming in. Just let the sons of Zadok. They were the only ones that got to come in because everybody else left their first love. They became mechanical in their relationship to God. You don't have to be religious to become a Pharisee. Pharisees can be made by just getting more focused on the task than the one who's in charge. That you come to church to get and to do instead of minister unto the Lord. It's okay to just come and worship Him and minister to Him. They left their first love here, this church in Ephesus, and they, uh, he's, re- he's rebuking them for that. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen... Repent and do your first work or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So all the good they were doing, they were in jeopardy of losing their light. And can I tell you something? Forty years after this letter was sent to the church in Ephesus, 40 years. Talking about a city of 250,000 people a place where Paul actually planted the church here. It was founded by him. He spent more time on his missionary journeys in Ephesus than he did anywhere other place. 250,000 people, which is a big city. That's about the size of Lexington way back when. Forty years after they got this letter, the city was vacated because a plague came in and it destroyed. The city was desolate after that. It makes you wonder if they didn't heed God's word. Do you realize that we have more power with prayer than a leader of a country? We have access to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We have access to a God that can make the sun stand still. Whoa! Did anybody feel that? That went all the way from my head to my feet. We have access to God that can raise the dead. We have access to a God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And I might add, He owns the hills too. It's all His. We have access to a God who can do anything. We have access to more power than the guy in this world that's got the greatest military. Because one angel... One angel killed 180,000 Assyrians in one night. Now you tell me who's the baddest. The Lord. He's in charge. One angel wiped out. That's why when you read Psalm 2, and and this is telling. It tells on the world. The world's not as ignorant and not as pagan as they like to let on. The only reason half the world wants to be pagan is because they don't want nobody telling them what to do. They don't want a God that says, you can't do that that way. That's against my law. So half the people in the world that are pagan are only doing it so they can live after the flesh. Right? 
They don't want to submit to God. But I'm going to tell you why that's true. In Psalm 2, it says the kings of the earth gather together to overthrow God. It's a prophetic statement about the end of time. That, what's that tell you? They know who he is. They know he's in charge. Right? Or they wouldn't gather together. Why would they gather together over, overthrow a God they can't see? They know who he is. Right? They're, a lot of them, as we say where I'm from, they're playing possum. Right? And, and how many of you have dealt with people, maybe somebody in your family or friend, that's acting like they're ignorant about something, but you know they know. You know they know the truth. You know they've been exposed to God's Word. And these kings of the earth, I love this. The kings of the earth, the Bible says, gather together to overthrow God. And the Bible says, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. I'm on his side. The one that's laughing because he's in charge. So we, the, these guys... Their lampstand was removed. They went away with the whole city. Tragic. So it makes you wonder if they didn't heed God's voice here. Uh, he said, but this you have, you uh, hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And the Nicolaitans over in, and we're not going to get there tonight, but the Nicolaitans over in the church of Pergamos, they're, they're kind of spoken the same breath with Balaam. And Balaam in the Hebrew, his name means to conquer, the first part of his name means to conquer. The second part means people. To conquer people. Same thing the Nicolaitans' name means. It means to conquer people. So what you have, you have this movement by people inside the church that want to use it for their own end. And so Balaam, remember what Balaam did? He got with Balak. He cursed God's people. He set them up to go into to idolatry and, and sexual immorality. Of course, Jezebel's doing the same thing in the, in the church of Thyatira, which we'll get to. So you've got a lot of worldliness. Remember what I said to start this off with? You've got a lot of worldliness in the church. And I'd say we've got more worldliness in the church than we've ever had right now. So he says, you guys hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, and they're Judaizers. A lot of people were Judaizers. That's a word that's been kicked around a lot in different circles. It's people who want to bring Christianity. And that's why the whole book of Hebrews was written. Because they were trying to bring people, Christianity and tell everybody you've got to keep the law. Right? So that's why Paul, or the Holy Spirit basically, used Paul to pin down Hebrews. Because they, he, he come in there and said, yeah, Moses was a good guy, but he's not the one. Right? Jesus is the one. And he uses that whole book of Hebrews to tell them they had people who left Christianity and were coerced to go back under the law. Then you had some of those who were trying to keep the law and Christianity. And then you had those Christians who were out there still trying to live it, but being heavily persecuted by the Jews. And they, they took great offense to the writings of John. And John's the one writing this. They took some of those sects of, that, of the Judaizers took great offense because John said, now you, he was the Logos. Now, you, I don't know if you understand the culture of the, of the Jews, but the Torah, the Word of God, that is the supreme for them. And that's how it should be for us Christians, too. God's Word should trump everything else in our life. But when you got a guy saying that this guy that's walking the streets of Jerusalem... And walking around here in Israel, he is the Logos. They about went ballistic. Some of these sects, S-E-C-T-S, sects 
of Judaism, they, it drove them nuts. They wouldn't have none of that. You can't call a man. Of course, they didn't understand, right? That he was more than a man. He was the son of the Most High God. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the only begotten Son of God. They didn't understand that. They were blinded to that. And so they took great offense when John said, and the Word was with God and came down and dwelt among us. He called Jesus, the Messiah, the Word. And then he did it again over in one of his epistles, right? He said, there's three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Spirit, and the Word. The book of Revelation talks about the Word, Jesus being the Word. So this was very offensive to them. So you got sex that started creeping into the church. Jude talks about it a little bit. They creep into the church. Paul talks about it a little bit. Peter talks about it, calls, uh, calls them out in some of his writings. You got people coming into the church trying to take away from the effectiveness of Christ and trying to say, you got to do this or you got to do that. We got denominations like that. That they, they're, they're more interested in some ritual than you having a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's not how this works. You got to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where it all starts. Must, a man must be born again, he said. And so we got people that have these same kind of attitudes that are in the church world today that make the rituals the most important thing. Now, notice how Jesus ends this. He hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans. You see that? This you have, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. I hate it too, Jesus is saying. Because they're coming in with their, they're trying to take away from the authority of God. They, were, they, they wanted the rule of the people instead of the rule of the Holy Spirit. And then they tried to take people in the wrong direction in the flesh. But if you get out from underneath God's rule individually, nationally, family, or a church, you got nowhere to go but the flesh. And that's why it works. If you, if you don't come to God in His truth, there's really nowhere else to go. Because all other roads lead to destruction. Then he says, here's why these churches, and that's what I said, these churches were picked out for a reason. Because they got the same problems that we deal with in our world, right? We got a lot of people that are loving God, that hate evil. But we got, sometimes we have problems arise. We got people who would rather call their own shots instead of letting God call them. That's the Nicolaitans. People want to do it their way instead of God's way. So he says a word to us. Look what he says. He who has an ear. Look beside you and see if the person's got an ear. So he's talking to anybody that's got ears. If you don't have ears in here today, then... Now notice, he didn't say if they had to hear or not. He said they got an ear. So if anybody's hearing impaired, they can still get this message. Right? So he says, he that has an ear. So if your neighbor has an ear, then they're supposed to listen up. What the Spirit says to the churches. This is what the Spirit's saying. To him who overcomes, and that's the word that you've seen me write on this board before. To him who overcomes, it's the Greek word Nike, right? That's, you've seen me say this. This is the uh, verb form, Nikeo, and it's the shoe company uses the word Nike, right? It means, to, it means victory. 
And in this case, it's the verb form of Nike, overcome, so it means to gain the victory. Right? And that's why the shoe company chose that word. They're basically trying to send the message to you and I that if we wear their shoes, we'll get the victory. Right? That's what they want you to hear or subliminally pick up on. He says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who nakeos or gains the victory, I will give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Basically, he's reaffirming eternal life to all of us. That's the good news, right? You're going to have... So notice he's going to say this to all the churches about being an overcomer, right? He's going to, say it to, he's going to continue to say this. Notice what he didn't say. He did not say... Um, you have to be perfect. He said, you need to overcome. So when you use a word like that, that suggests that there's going to be obstacles in our way. And I was sharing in the Bible study this morning that we have on Wednesday mornings that we're going to move over here. So, I mean, you guys can come. We have one on Wednesday morning at 8. Uh, it's just expanding. It's growing. We've got people from other churches coming too. Um, but overcoming is you, you and I are going to have an adversary. And because the pool shrunk so much from true believers in the last 60 years in this country, and it's worse in other parts of the world, now the devil has fewer people to focus on. Think about that. Good news, right? <laughs> Good news for all of us. The devil can really focus more attention. Right? So you're going to have adversity. He's our adversary, the Bible says. You're going to have to deal with Satan, or the Hebrew calls him Hasatan. You're going to deal with him. But you can overcome him because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And if you fall seven times, get up seven times. Don't lay there. We, you know, I, I want to say this. There are a lot of people that are overwhelmed with depression and... Listen, the devil can captivate people with that, but that don't mean other people didn't have to deal with it. Maybe they just overcame it. You know what I'm saying? Other people deal with some of that stuff too. They just don't give in. So I'm just saying, don't give in. Keep your nose in that book. You'd be amazed how much it'll raise you out of the depths if you'll get in the Word. I use it like medicine too. I eat on it through the day. Then I run to the medicine cabinet and get a dose when I need an extra dose. Right? I mean, it'll ch it changes your whole attitude. And some people say, well, when I go to pray, I'm all scatterbrained. Start with the Word. Go sit down with the Word. It'll get your mind focused and then go pray. This Word of God can change everything about our lives. And you read how powerful He is the Word made flesh. So when you get into God's Word, you're getting into Jesus. He is the Word made flesh. So he told these Ephesians, said, you guys need to uh, go back to what you started with. Get back, get your priorities right. And they, maybe they didn't. Because Ephesus didn't last but about 40 years after this Word. So uh, just think about some of the things we're talking about. We'll get back to the ne next church next week. 
there's a lot for us. And, and as we study these, just ask yourself, spiritually, which church do I really fit into? And that may be something you want to change, right? I'm, I'm just saying, maybe you can learn about yourself and say, well, I'm the church that's whatever. And you may say, well, I, I need to be more like the Philadelphia church, right? Uh, or maybe God spoke to somebody tonight that's watching or in the building. Maybe you've left your first love. Maybe some other things have become more important to you than your relationship with God. I've watched that over the years. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a couple of things here before I close so I can make everybody mad. I have watched people over the years step into different seasons in their life and other things become important to them and they walk out on God. Sometimes it's been a toy. I can remember over the years, I had two families that got really blessed and both of them bought houseboats. Now, I'm not against houseboats. If you got one, I'd like to come see you on it. But one of those families we never saw again. And the other one kept it in perspective. And they used it occasionally on the weekends through the year. But they never stopped honoring God and coming to church. They kept it in, kept it in perspective, right? Uh, then I've watched people have children and leave the church. Because their children's activities and all. And of course their children was going to play in the NFL or be the next uh, Celine Dion or whatever, right? We all know that, right? I mean, as soon as we have them, they're, you know, is he, are they going to be whatever, right? And so they chase all this stuff, and what does that child learn? They learn that that stuff's more important than honoring God. And that has ripple effect. It has a ripple effect. So make sure you... You, this church we just studied, look at your life. And you know what I've noticed? It's a good idea to take inventory pretty regularly because things can get out of whack if we're not careful. Amen. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for all those that have joined us tonight by way of our video feed and those that will get this podcast. We just we want to learn your word, Lord, and we want to be prepared because we know the end is very near and we know we're close and even though it's frustrating to watch our world go the direction it's going, uh, we know these things have to come to pass for all this to come to an end. And so we're excited about that, Lord, that you're bringing everything to an expected end. We love you and we honor you in all, in all we do in Jesus' name. Mm-hmm.